Good afternoon. All right, we're working from the five things we can uh, change. And we're on chapter two, which is about planning. Things do not always go according to our plan. It says to plan, but I'll say our plan. Because in this chapter, the author, and I agree, alludes to the fact that there's an energy or a purpose. It's hard for us to pick up the signals on, but it's there. And his advice, and my advice, is to let go of our controlling factors. Let go of the fact of thinking that we know what is best and allow all of the positive energies in the universe to call it divine, call it sacred, to uh, instruct us, to guide us, and to allow that energy to push forward to the forefront. The one thing, again, I'd like to caution you on is He seems not to trust or not to have confidence totally in the technique that he's authoring. In other words, he's talking about conditions in Samsara that are just conditions in Samsara that we cannot change. And we have to learn how to accept those conditions as they are, or we will suffer. Now, in certain places, he expresses the fact that Although there's suffering and grief, we can be happy. Well, you can't be happy with suffering and grief. And it seems, you know, he's got, in my opinion, he's got the basic understanding. That is the, the acceptance of the moment. Not being in contention with what is. But if he keeps talking about suffering and grief, then he doesn't quite believe in, in the in the answer that he has. And so just be aware of that. That if you for instance on um, page 21 he says we know that a yes to life is a yes to grief and pain. Well if you have a yes to life you don't have grief and pain because you have no conflict with the moment, you have no conflict with life. And again, remember that the Buddhist teachings are, number one, liberation from suffering. Not that you learn how to be comfortable with suffering, but liberation from suffering. And what this indicates is that in our ability to accept, to say yes, author's words to the moment, to the event. We learn that it is not the event that causes our suffering. It is our struggle with the event that causes our suffering. Do you, do you understand? Okay. And yes? But one of the, it seems like one of the key things though, in fact, it seems like what he's making the point of is that there's a difference between suffering and emotions. 
the Buddha doesn't say that you can't have emotions, right? You can't be sad, you can't be happy, and whatever. It seems like suffering is more the attachment to those, that in the moment one can be sad and be okay with that. Well, this is what the author expresses. I, I just don't happen to agree. So you don't so you don't agree with human emotions? I don't agree with the fact that we need them to get by in our lives. There's there's certainly a a presence. So much so that we take it for granted that this is a part of what we're supposed to be employing as a, as we live. But I don't think Remember it in the, in the chain that's called dependent origination that starts with ignorance and ends with emotion. There is, in that sequence of dependent origination, a place way before you get to emotions that is called craving. See? And so, with feeling comes craving, with craving comes all of the other stuff. If I eliminate the chain or if I break the chain at that place, none of the other stuff happens. None of the emotions happen. And you have got to be willing to see whether that works for you. To be willing to um, address the issue, address the situation back where there is this craving and feeling. And when you dissolve that, you will find that there is no emotion. Okay, so so I'm just saying we are habitually on the on the durable wheel. And our operation or our solution has always been you know, through psychology and through psychotherapy that you wait for the emotion to manifest and then you fix it. You work with it. You hug it. You embrace it. You take medicine. You do whatever is necessary working with that. But what I find is that when we're able to be awake, when we're able to be sensitive, and we catch ourselves right at that craving portion, and drop it there, let it go right there, that none of that other comes into manifestation. So we don't have to deal with it. As an example, and I I use Kubler-Ross a lot, so the five stages of grief, and she gives these five, starting with anger and ending with acceptance. And what I've always said is that if you start with acceptance, you don't go through the other four. Okay, because what we see in life, what we realize in life, is no matter how despondent we are, no matter how depressed we are, with the situation, with with my spouse leaving me, or my house burning down, or my pony running away, or whatever it might be, that when I accept the fact that it happened, let it go, it's gone. You know, my my wife is gone. She took all my insurance. Blah blah. Whatever the case might be. That at that point, there is no more suffering, there is life. 
There's getting up off the couch, taking a shower, putting on clean clothes, and going out in the world and living life again. There is no dealing with emotion. You you dealt with the emotion for the year that you stepped on the couch. Do you understand what I'm sharing? Yeah. Okay. But you're, but you're also saying then that basically is that even if I'm sad for five seconds, I shouldn't. If my oh, wife no. leaves me and I'm sad for five seconds, then I should be able to overcome. I should should have overcome that before I got. Well, I'm saying because that. I got to success. I'm saying that the mechanism is in place for you to cut that ribbon at any place you want to. I am not saying that you you can't choose to suffer. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you're wrong for suffering. I'm saying you don't have to. You see? Now, as another life's example, I've known people who have come to me in counseling because grandma died and they're not grieving. They're not sad. They're, they're not, you know, unhappy. And the rest of the family sort of telling them that they're incorrect and they must not have loved grandma because they're not, you know, in the same state of grief as everyone else in the family. But the reality is, is that this particular, well, this one example that I can think of, loved her grandmother, spent time with her grandmother, assisted her grandmother, spent, you know, loved her grandmother, and therefore, when it was time for her grandmother to go, she was okay. Mm. You know, she, she had done what she had to do while everything was still living, while, while there was life, right? So she didn't need to feel sad because she spent her time. She gave her love, and the grandmother gave her her love back. So that's that's another example that I can think of that says... We feel it necessary that we should feel sad about this or grieving about this or fearful about this, but you don't have to be any of those things about any of those things. Those are just phenomena that come and go. Right? Okay. So you can be. You can be if you want to. And you can do that for as long as you want. And that's usually the way we spend our time, our lives, mm. is doing it for as long as we want. And then one day we just decide, okay, enough of this. I'm going to get up and live my life. Mm -hmm. You know, wh whatever I'm grieving about is done. It's not changing. It's not coming back. I've given them a year or two years or ten years to knock on the door and say, please take me back. And they're not here yet. It's time for me to get up and live my life. And when I do that, I don't I don't drag along the grief. Now, what happens is I might hear a record that was ours, or I might pass the bar that we hung up on, you know, and feel that pang, or I wish she would, you know. But usually, no. Because usually I'll stay away from the neighborhoods where we used to hang out. Because I don't want grief anymore. I don't want sadness anymore. I want to find happiness again. I want to be happy again. So, but if you want to suffer, if you want to be sad, that's okay. And that's the distinction. I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying it isn't necessary. But if you feel that you must, okay. oh, I'm sorry, I got a couple of questions. Well, you can't answer that, but... Um... 
Uh-huh. I was trying to. Um, what happened in Texas? Right. I mean, you can't help but have emotions with that. And with that, I think, it, it, like, those emotions help you to try and see the right thing to do or to do the right thing or to try and make the right changes because of that. Okay. So how does that work into emotions? Okay. I first like to say that in my experience, I have never made the right choices when I was emotionally oppressed. I've never made the right choices when I was emotionally oppressed. You know, I did I did whatever was expedient so I could get through this craziness, this pain, this these tears in my eyes, this loneliness that I feel. I did I just grabbed on the stuff, right? You know, whether it was drugs, whether it was, you know, another person, whether it was moving to another city, but it was like, let me get out of this stuff in the herd. This, this, this hurts. This, this bothers me. So I'm saying that the emotions do not motivate necessarily wise resolve and wise solutions. They just make us want to do something because we're in so much pain. Now, do I have to be sad to do the right thing? Do I have to be depressed to do the right thing? Do I have to hurt to do the right thing? I can look at what happened in Texas and what happened in Nevada and what happened in Sandy Hook and what happened all of the other places, Florida. What happened in all of the places? What happened in Syria? What happened in Afghanistan? What I can look at all of those places and see that there's a need for something that's not there. There's too much anger, there's too much hate there. But if I get angry and I begin to hate or I begin to hurt or I begin to be, be depressed about the situation, that's not going to allow me to overcome what I see in the best possible way. Do I need to do these things? Do I need to have these emotions in order to make the best decision? No. How do I how do I look at that experience with my eyes wide open, realizing that that's just a part of this world? You see, the happening in the church in Texas is not anything strange at all. This is a part of America. You know, it's not a, it's not an anomaly. It's, it's the anger and the hate that's in the world and the weapons of choice that are available to people. So do we get rid of the weapons? Not necessarily. Do we get rid of the hate? Absolutely. And I can't get rid of hate if I'm hating. Because I'm bringing hate to the table. Right? But I don't have to be sad either. I have to just realize that this is a terrible situation. But I don't have to be sad about it. Do I have a solution? We all do. Will people listen to our solution? No. 
because they'd rather have their guns than have sanity. And they have their guns because there's fear. You know, it's always about me protecting mine. It's always about me being there to be be responsive to the the ills and the mental problems of others. But I agree with Trump that it is a mental problem. Anyone who picks up anything that says, I'm going to use this to kill somebody else has a mental problem, whether it's a gun or a stick or a rock or a knife or a plastic bag or a rock. When I say to myself, it's a good idea to kill you, I am mentally deranged. And that's what I've got to work on. It's not the sticks and stones that I can pick up and break your head on. It's my thought that it's appropriate for me to take your life. We've got to bring more love to the world. Okay? So, I was going to save this to the last, but since you asked the question, I'll just throw it on out to you now. And that is, everybody wants to fix something. Okay? Whenever these tragedies happen, everybody wants to fix it. But you can't fix the world if you can't fix yourself. So it is my opinion and my instruction, before you go out and fix the world, work on your stuff and fix you. And once you fix yourself, you will become aligned with sacred energy, sacred information, divine information that will allow you then to do what you are supposed to do to contribute to the, the broader situation. See, you, you have a special talent, and when it is guided by divine intervention, by, by that ultimate wisdom, you will know exactly what you are supposed to do in this moment for that situation. But people who are just running out, if, if you go by, if you go down the highway and you see this horrible accident, and somebody's hanging out the car and half the head or, you know, stuff is leaking out their brain, if you're not a brain surgeon, you don't stop and sew it up because you can't fix it. You don't know how to fix it, Right? So we, we have to prepare ourselves. We have to empty ourselves of ego, that, that self that thinks they know everything and has the best result, and allow themselves to be used as an instrument. When we were all Christians, well, most of us were, some of us are heard. We used to have sayings like, let go and let God, or thy will be done. Now at that time, I thought that that meant I could sit on my butt and let God do it. But now I understand that, no, that doesn't mean that. It means that I've got to let the sacred operate through me. I have to get out of the way. I have to, to put my intentions and my solutions in my pocket because they're just minimal. They don't really work. I want to have the 
best empowerment to, to effect change in the world. And I know that that comes from something higher than the little me, right? So, yeah. Fix ourselves. That's, that's our solution. We're never going to fix the world. This is just the way Samsara is. It's always been this way. This is just the way this reality is. And it's here for a reason. It's, it's, it's all of this confusion and fire for a reason. It helps us make the hard choices for ourselves, whether we're going to give in to what the situation is and, and you know, fold up and, and weep and, and, and become impotent, whether we're going to go crazy and, and grab a gun and shoot all the other guys and kill all of them before they kill me. Or are we going to bring love to the table? Are we going to bring sacrifice to the table? Are we going to bring wisdom to the table? Are we going to bring compassion to the table? That's what's missing. You see, it's not more force that's missing. It's not more me over them that's missing. It's community that's missing. It's embracing that's missing. And that's what I think is necessary because that's what's missing. See, so, yes. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Um, it reminds me of that movie. I don't remember the name of it, but it was The Dingo Ate My Baby. <laughs> no idea. Okay, well, there was it, it, overcoming or, you know, not letting emotions arise, just go, going to that point of, of acceptance and surrender. And uh, there was a lady in Australia who went camping with her family, and this was a number of years ago, and her, her baby was, you know, stolen by a dingo out of the tent in the middle of the night. And so there was this big search that went on, and it was made into a movie with Meryl Streep. And she became not just a national figure, but a worldwide figure, because people, uh, at first, everybody was into it, let's find the baby. Then it was, well, she's not crying, what's the matter with her? And she didn't show grief in the, you know, and um, everybody turned against her and said that she killed her baby and buried it somewhere out in the desert because she wasn't devastated by these events. And um, they imprisoned her and she gets pregnant. So then she's a bad mom again because she got pregnant while she should have been grieving. And then um, during all this, they find the baby's torn clothes out in the desert. Somebody else found them. And they, they, you could tell by how they were serrated that it was the teeth of the dingo. And, um, and everybody just hung their head because here they put this woman, you know, the whole world put this woman through so much. And, you know, and, and it, because she didn't react emotionally the way that everybody tells you you have to act, um, you know, which is very dysfunctional and, and very unproductive and very unhealthy. And, you know, it could go on and on. But anyhow, I just wanted to share that because I think it is very liberating. I find it very liberating to know that I personally don't have to go through that process when something arises. And, um, 
So I, that that's all I wanted to share. Thank and you. yeah, and we do that a lot to each other a lot of the time. Yes, we do. We really do. All right, but again, I want to make sure that everyone understands that if they need to do those things, if they need to take some space to, to experience the loss that they, they have, that that is absolutely okay. It is optional. That's the functional word. You don't have to. It doesn't make you a bad person if you choose not to. But it doesn't make you a bad person if you choose to. See, because it is my job to be your friend no matter what you choose to do. I'm going to stay with you. And I'm going to be there for you when you decide you're through. I'm not going to abandon you. Because that's what friends do. They stay with their friends. I'm not going to enable you. I'm not going to cry with you. I'm not going to be depressed with you. But I'm going to let you know it's going to be okay because there's going to be a time when you realize that this too shall pass. Everything is impermanent, including your emotions. Your emotions are no more real than everything else you think is real. Yes, Sue. I have a question. It's around the word choose. It seems to me that, um, and perhaps you've answered it, the question, but let's say in the moment you, you see something, you know, you see somebody shot dead in front of you. It seems that a, a sane person would experience, you know, just naturally, physiologically or whatever, a sense of, you know, horror. Mm -hmm. And then, or in another situation, naturally a person would feel sad. Mm -hmm. So what I'm getting at, it seems that there's moments where it's appropriate, but then if we're being mindful of the situation, we're not, you know, hopefully then we can move from that into, a, um, I don't want to say healthier, but move into a, a space that becomes more, I don't want to say wholesome, but you know what I'm trying to say? that we. I, I think so. More appropriate? More. Appropriate? I can't hear. Appropriate? More appropriate? Yes, that instead of, hopefully as we get healthier, we, we're not going to stay fixated in that spot forever okay. of this shock, not to judge somebody who does, but that we'll be able to turn it around more quickly to respond more appropriately. Um to our own feelings, yeah. so we're not, you know, like you say, hatred never ceases by hatred, so we can move, but it seems there are moments that are sort of beyond our control where we're just going to respond. I don't think you're saying that there aren't. I think there's something I'm misunderstanding just a little. What I'm saying is that we always have a choice. 
That's what choice. I'm saying. Yeah, that choice. choice. Now, have you ever seen anybody shot? Have you ever been in a situation yeah. where somebody got shot? I have. Mm-hmm. And out of all of those things, I didn't choose any of those things. I chose to run. To get out of harm's way. But we all have choice. That that's the power of things. We're not stuck on something that we have to do because we've seen our relatives do it or other people do it. We all have choice. That's the liberating. So when you're going what I'm saying to everyone is that when you're going through anything and you don't like what you're going through, remember you made the choice and you have the option to make a different choice. That's all. If you're satisfied with what you're going through and it's okay with you and you feel that it's appropriate at the time, then by all means, continue to do that. But if you don't like it and you're uncomfortable with it, then say, oh, wait a minute, I can do something different. Okay, on page 27, it says, now, first of all, he says, we are hurt by rejection, but not devastated devastated by it. If you're in the moment and you're accepting what is, you're not hurt by rejection. See, these are little subtle things that makes me understand that this author, even though he has good material, he doesn't understand the deeper, subtle aspects of what he has in front of him. But he says, we are hurt by rejection, but not devastated by it. Well, that shows that, that, that the information is giving him some relief, some recourse, that he's not as knocked over as he might have been before he had this information. But what he does say is this. Our focus is on how we love, not on how we are loved, on how we can give, not on what we can get. And see, if you focus on this, you don't have any time to be hurt. You don't have any time for foolishness, for emotion. If you are focused on how we love. Then you don't think about what someone else is not doing to you or for you. Because you focus on how you love them, not how they love you. It's called unconditional love. On how we can give, not on what we can get. Each of us is here to discover and share marvelously unique inner gifts. That is what the world is waiting for and why we are given a lifetime. We are here to help people get through the desert, this desert of life, this this emotional turmoil, this, this up and down. Equanimity 
is a part of this practice. And it means that when people are dumping gold in our lap, we don't go anywhere, we don't get high, we're right here. And when people are taking the gold away from us by gunpoint, we're right here. That our purpose, you know, everyone's, everyone is somehow pulled to make a change in the world, make the world better. And that pull is legitimate. That's what we're here to do. We're here to make the world different. We're here to make the world better. But we're making it better by bringing the wisdom to others that help them understand that here is how we have to navigate this thing called world. We can't, we can't, we can't make everybody love us the way we want them to. That ain't going to happen. No matter how hard we try, no matter what gifts and sacrifices we buy and, and make, people are going to be people. When we understand that, then we don't condemn people. We don't go shoot up churches because somebody didn't do what we wanted them to do. We understand that this is just a part of how the world works how people are in different stages and different levels of their own development, their own evolution. We all came here to evolve. Somehow we think that because we're human, we have no more need to evolve because we have evolved into humanity from the animal realm. But we're just beginning to understand. Look at, I mean, all that we see around the world now is animalistic. Everybody's preying on everybody, not praying P-R-A-Y. <laughs> yes. I would say that, well, I wouldn't call it animalistic, I would call it egoistic. Okay. That, that what we see in the world is this ego. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. More that, you know, and that's what we're trying to overcome. So okay. the ego part. All right. That makes us act like animals. So worse than animals. All right. Well, yeah, but then you're saying that you know, animal that animals act, act that if, if you act like an animal, you act badly. So that means animals act badly. They act. They just act as they're supposed to. Yeah. If I act like I'm supposed to, that mean, then you're not acting right. So I think that there's, um, well, I don't know what I'm writing about, but I think that there's a lot, of, me personally, think that there's a lot of good in life. Absolutely. And we get these filters of bad things that come in and we're shocked because basically it's good. I think. I think that way until yesterday or the day before when there was a shooting here and something another shooting someplace else, and you say like something like Afghanistan 
or the way they're killing apes in, you know, whatever it is. But through all that, there's so many people that are good. Yeah. Even when this happened in, and I keep on going back, I'm so focused on this, in Texas, the community came together. They still, they said, we lost our community. But there was this community of love. And I think that we find a lot of it in this country. I don't know about other countries because I don't live in them and I really haven't experienced that much. But just here alone, I think there's like more positive and we get, when we get filtered in with the negative, we're so shocked by it. I think. I'm ready. (laughs) So I think, in my opinion, one of the keys that I've taken from this practice is the idea of processing life as it is, rather than as I think it should be or I want to be. And it's worked for me most of the time. It's still a process. And I think that what you've said here today is, is, I, I agree with it, but it's easier said than done. That's why we have to keep practicing this. And once you get it, once it, if this becomes front of mind, all of a sudden, all these things are just taken with equanimity. And uh, the clarity comes through. And then it's all good. Well said. Uh, as, as your example stated, that when we have a tragedy, we come together. We support those who have experienced loss. We say the appropriate things like, well, we need better this, or we need better laws, or we need more protection, or we need blah, blah, blah. But then two weeks later, sidewalks are clear, and it's business as usual. Right? Everybody forgets what happened or it's in the back of their mind because now they're back into their own situations, their own desires. And we don't come together again until the next one. And when the next thing happens, the next innocent person is killed, then it's the same outcry. Well, perhaps somebody will eventually come up with some solutions where we don't have to continue to go through these devastating moments of life. 
as everyone has said, it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to accept. But what we read in the last chapter, don't forget the last chapter we read and studied, which was on what? Anybody? Impermanence. Death is a statement of impermanence. Not a statement of sadness or tragedy or any, any of those words we might use, but death is a statement of impermanence. Roses die, sunsets die, sunrises die. I heard somebody tell us on Sunday that it is less violent now than it has ever been in history. But we've got more violence against the earth now than we've ever had. When you talk about gorillas in the forest and, and other living beings, other sentient beings around the world who are being pushed out of existence because of our greed for one thing or another, for palm oil or charcoal or gold or whatever the case might be. These are the things we have to work on. But again, in my opinion, we have to work on ourselves first. This is not an indictment to the world. This is this is an encouragement to me that says, I got to get better at everything that I do. I can't allow greed, hatred, and delusion to manifest in my being. As long as there is nothing. As long as nothing is more real than our mind, there is no possibility of believing in a transcendent reality. As long as we keep operating from the brain, this lower consciousness, we will not understand and we will not connect with the transcendent existence of the world. There always remains a hidden inner realm of mystery, a noumenon behind all phenomena. This is nibbana. This is emptiness. But it is not empty. It is full of everything, but nothing yet is manifested. I try to explain it with terms like pure potential, but again, as soon as we name it, the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. As soon as we name it, we make it something. And as soon as we make it something, we've corrupted it. Because it is not something. It's everything we ever knew and more. And this is what we need to access. This is where we need to go with our knowing, to that place. That place of allness, holiness, oneness, whatever you might try to identify it with words, we will be short, we will be short and woefully lacking in the full expression of what is possible for each and every one of us. But we can't get there, we can't do it until we fix ourselves. As long as we still have fear, greed, 
hatred, judgment, all of those things, it will not work. It will not happen. We've got to love the ones who were injured and killed, and we've also got to love the ones who do the killing. So we got to meditate. It says, The noumenon, the unmanifested, is the non-duality, the Buddha mind or Christ consciousness that underlies and upholds all things. It is akin to, it is akin to the non-dual object-free awareness arising in meditation. It is being toward which beings are tensed. That means we feel ourselves being pulled in. Both attachment and avoidance keep us one step removed from the edge of being. That's the being with a capital B. Toward which our individual being is spiritually tensed, being pulled, drawn. Insisting that things be different is a cause of suffering. Thank you so much for all your sharing. Next week we'll work with chapter 3, the title of which is Life is Not Always Fair. Life is not always fair. Why me? <laughs> All right. See how many why me's you happen to, to get to bring it to your life this week. And remember the response to that is, why not me? Why, why do I want this to happen to somebody else and not me? See, the whole point of the practice and the whole point of our study and the whole point of all of the workshops you've gone to and all of the churches you've visited and all of the prayers that you've spoken is to prepare yourself for all possibilities so that when the day comes when that real heavy thing comes at you that real scary thing comes at you you don't waste time with why me you take care of it whether it's someone else's tragedy or whether it's your treasure, you take care of it. You stand up and be the spiritual adult that you are, and you show the rest of the world how to live. We see this, again, we talk about community. We see this with people who we are expecting them to just crumble and be bereaved because they've lost their homes or they've lost their family or whatever. 
we'll get by this too. We'll work with this too. So, yes, Jim? Sure. This place that we're drawn to, this quantum field, whatever you want to call it. Right. Do you think that it's conscious of itself? Yeah. Mm. I think I think it's pure consciousness. Mm. Okay, everybody's good. May all beings be liberated from suffering. They will be well. They will be happy. They will be peaceful. Thank you so very much for your wisdom and your sharing and your, your listening and your willingness to go out and make a difference in the world. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.